If you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 1. And if you don't, it's printed in your bulletin. And we're going to read this passage again, or at least a portion of it, from Genesis chapter 2, actually. Uh, And I'm going to start with, uh, let's see. Start with verse 7, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. So let's uh, pick up with that. I'll probably skip uh, 10 through 14. Uh, and just move on down to uh, verse 15. So let's start reading with verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring every tree that is pleasant to the side and good for food. The tree of life was in it and in the, in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and bird of the heaven and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and birds and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fitting for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. and They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, You might ask, why should we study Genesis? And I've given you a lot of reasons. And one of the main ones is that Genesis is uh, not talking about scientific things. It's not telling us how the world was created. It's not really uh, giving us any scientific information. It's really not fair to impose on the book of Genesis the a requirement to answer questions that are being asked by 20th or 21st century people. And so when you look at at the book of Genesis and you try to make it answer scientific questions like how long did it take to create the world? How old is the world? Uh, what, what, where do dinosaurs come from? All of these kinds of things. The Bible is simply not answering those questions. And so it's unfair to ask it. Same thing is true if you go into a scientific lab and you tell the scientists there, prove to me that God exists or prove to me that He doesn't exist. Science has absolutely nothing to say about God. It cannot prove or disprove God. Even the science of philosophy cannot prove or disprove God. All it can do is raise questions about metaphysical things. And those are all good. We're happy to have those questions. But if you take the Bible and try to force it to answer scientific questions, then people start to shake their head and go, how did he really, did he really do surgery and take a rib out and actually manipulate that rib and do something to it? Is to lose the whole message of the Bible. Because it is written in a certain way Not for primitive people. In fact, I would say that the Bible is extremely profound in what it is saying and expressing. And it's doing it in a way that will be relevant. Listen, 
that will be relevant to every culture and every group of people from now until the end of the earth. Whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars, Luke Skywalker or Captain Kirk or whoever's out there in the future and all the way back to the people in Moses' day, it will be relevant because it is not speaking about scientific things. And you all are going to get asked about these things and if somebody says to you, science has proved that God doesn't exist, you would you please explain what you mean by that? God, science is no way can even say anything about the metaphysical. Nothing. And so to make the Bible speak to science is a mistake. And if you have questions about that, I'm happy to answer them. The Bible does answer some questions, though. And every one of you have asked these questions, and every one of you has a friend, a relative, or someone you know at work that has asked these questions. Here we go. Listen. Why is the world the way it is? Why is humanity the way it is? Why is there so much evil and suffering? If we've got a good God, if He's up there somewhere, He, she, it, them, there, whatever it is, and supposedly it's, He's good, why is there so much evil and suffering? At the same time, why is there so much exquisite beauty and wonder and awe. I mean, who in this room, if you were not moved by this beautiful music our group played this morning, this beautiful expression of, of wonder, how, why does that impact us? Why does it touch us at a level that we really can't explain? And finally, why are we even conscious of it? Look, I don't know... Uh, I have a couple of dogs. I don't know if they appreciate Rachmaninoff. I have no idea. I know this. They don't appreciate him the way I do. They're not conscious the same way we are, although animals are incredibly intuitive and incredibly aware of what's going on around them, maybe even more than we are in some ways, because they have no, as, as uh, uh, George Whitfield says, they have no quarrel with their maker. We do. We have a quarrel with our Maker and we have a problem with our Maker. But the whales and the animals and the birds and the fish don't. So whatever conscious level they have of God is probably better than ours. So we're going to ask a few questions. Here we go. Let me give you just a basic overview. First, why is there something instead of nothing? Why is there something instead of nothing? Secondly, why humanity? Why do we even have humanity? And finally, we'll look at this question. How do you, as human beings, how do you re-enter the original purpose that God created you for? How do you do that? Because everybody you know, including yourself, I mean, we're all asking, what am I here for? Why am I here? What, what am I doing? Why is my life this way? You look and you say, man, I've been really blessed. Why is it like this? Or, you know, life really has been kind of terrible. Why is it like this? Or maybe it's a mixture of the two. Why is it like that? We're not asking the, the mechanics. We already know those. But we want to know the whys. And what to do, if anything. So why is there something... Because uh, why is there something instead of nothing? Well, let me, I'm going to be very brief and I'm going to give you a simple answer and I hope you see the profundity of this simple answer and how you should be prepared to go to anybody that asks you any questions about the metaphysical world, about this other, whatever's out there, that you can answer this way. Why is there something instead of nothing? And you can say to anyone who challenges you, no matter who they are or how brilliant they are, you can say, I can tell you this much. From a Christian perspective, from a Judeo-Christian perspective, from a, an Islamic perspective, any number of perspectives, I can tell you this much. There is something... Because there is a someone. And the very fact that we are aware of that consciousness of being 
what the old classical apologists called the ontological argument, or uh, you can take any of the arguments that the classicists have, have used, the cosmological argument, the ontological argument. These are big words, aren't you impressed? The teleological argument. You can argue for the existence of God, but you can't prove it. And so all of these arguments, so as far as we know, that, that we can tell anybody, the reason that I know that there is something is because there is someone. Because I am conscious of my being, and so are you. And it's the reason we're asking the question. I don't know that animals of any intelligence ask that question. Why am I here? Why do I have being? And the book of Genesis just comes right in along with this. And there are lots of creation accounts. You can get online and you can find any number of creation accounts going back into the ancient world that even predate the book of Genesis. People have been asking this question, why is there something instead of nothing? And how come I know that there's something instead of nothing? Why am I aware of that tension? Since time immemorial, since human beings woke up. And the book of Genesis comes and it has its answer. It speaks to that. And what it says is that God, He he just nakedly asserts that He exists. He doesn't give proofs. He doesn't say anything. He just says He is. And He does. And He speaks. And then He leaves it for all us human beings, all us little things crawling on the earth to, to decide whether or not He exists. Do you see how, how, how crazy that is? And it has driven people crazy for centuries, for millennia, even today. At any one time on the face of the earth, there have never, listen to me, there have never been more than four, maybe 5%, actually most people believe less than 5%, atheists. Real atheists. The majority of people on the face of the earth are religious people that believe something out there is transcendent to them. And those that aren't sure are what? They're agnostic. But a true atheist, there are very few. And that is true throughout the history of the world. Because there is someone, and we are conscious of it. And if you read chapter 1 of Romans the Apostle Paul majestically lays it out in the first chapter of Romans and he says there's enough evidence within the creation itself and in us and our awareness, our perception of the creation. Listen to this. That every human being that has ever lived is without an excuse. Somewhere down deep inside, innately inside every human heart is throbbing the beat that there is something up there, there is something out there, there's something more. And if you want to know what it is and why it is there, at least from a biblical perspective, Genesis 1-3 through answers those. In fact, I beg you, come back next week and bring everybody that you know that doesn't believe or is having struggles with belief. And because we're going to talk about why. Why is there suffering? Why is the world in such a state as it is? Why, why are some of you suffering with real disease or broken relationships, marriages? I know what it is to have a marriage that's on the rocks. Monty V and I can tell you our story. Do you know what I'm talking about? Why is the world the way it is? Why is my life this way? These first three chapters of Genesis profoundly address those very questions. Who wouldn't want to know that? And if you don't do anything else, my friends, anything else this week, read the first three chapters of Genesis. Just read those right here. Two pages, for goodness sakes. There's free Bibles in the front on the table. Grab one, take it home. And come back next week with your answers. The hardest questions you want to ask. Because this will say something about it. It may not fully, completely answer it, but it will tell you why. And I'm sure that's got to matter to some of you. God created, the the book of Genesis in chapter 1 and 2 say, He created just out of His being. Not because He needed anything, but because He was 
too much for the universe to hold and so he just spilled over in love and goodness and kindness and profligacy in production, in glory and beauty and he made this beautiful universe, this beautiful world walk out. Look, I mean, I don't even know why any of you came to church today. It was beautiful outside. What a beautiful day. Why is there beauty? Why do we even wonder at that? He created all of this out of who He is. And it says in the first chapter, He created it good and very good. He is infinitely good, infinitely powerful, infinitely beautiful, infinitely wise, orderly. The way that He made it, it it rotates and it moves. We don't have to worry if the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Uh, We don't have to fret about that. In a lot of ways, we live completely cared for. And yet there are other things that are really wrong. There's stuff that's, wow, it is so bad you just don't even know what to think about it. So, why is there something instead of nothing? Because there is a someone and He is good. And He has made this creation to reflect who He is and what He is. Secondly, why humanity? Why did he make people? You know, my grandfather, Charlie uh, Stevens, uh, I was named after him. And, uh, and he took over my life when I was about two minutes old. And uh, I became his property. You know, in the, in the Middle East, you know, the grandfather gets to do whatever he wants. So he's, he's mine, named me himself. And then, you know, I, I spent lots of time with him and loved him. He's a wonderful no, he wasn't wonderful. He was pretty rough. But, <laughs> but he, he was a delight for me to be around. So anyway, he had four daughters, so I was the son he always wanted. Uh, and I came along, and, and, and I remember my grandfather sitting on the couch, and he would say things like this. You know, there's too many people in the world. There's just too many people. We need to cut down the surplus population. Like uh, Scrooge in uh, Christmas Carol. We need to cut down the surplus population. Or you can read authors that say, you know, better off, the world would be better off if human beings didn't exist. Right? Have you heard that one? And my answer to them and to my grandfather was, you go first. (laughs) Hey, if there's too many people, you first. You know, how ridiculous is that? Oh, the world would be better without human beings. Oh my gosh, who who do we think we are? Now the world may be better off with human beings that are different than us because we have made a mess of things, yes. But to say that, just an assertion like that, "Ah, too many people, we need to get rid of some. The world doesn't have room anymore for all these people. You first. No, we don't do that. And that's because we know that we have something. We know that we're a being of some kind. So very quickly, let me give you why humanity. Here's here's four things that are unique, and then I'll explain them a little further. We'll go through it quickly because we looked at a lot of this last week. But I think it's a good way for you just to cap off who you are. Who are you as a human being and why? And here we go. Listen, there is a twofold calling that God presents to human beings In the first two chapters of Genesis, he lays it out. It's very clear. The first one is to serve him as caretakers, as priests in his holy temple. The garden was uh, meant to uh, be a picture of the temple of God where God dwelt especially among people. So temple was where God met with people, and that's what we see in Genesis. God would meet with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and He would commune with them. We don't know all the details, but there was, there was an awareness, a consciousness of these two people with their Creator and with their God. And that is, is projected out into the rest of the Bible as being priests, both the man and the woman, equally caretakers, stewards, gardeners, taking care of the land. They were also to know Him. To know Him in a certain way. That, for all we know, other creatures may be aware of God. I don't know, but we don't know how they know Him. We know how we know Him. We are profoundly aware that there's a God. We know there's even the atheists 
struggle because they're so crazy out of their minds to prove he doesn't exist. Well, if he doesn't exist, why are you wasting so much of your life doing that? He can't exist, he can't exist. Well, why are you taking, go enjoy the outdoors and be quiet. But no, they spend an inordinate amount of time trying to disprove God, which only, only begs the question. So, a twofold calling to serve and to know Him. A twofold, listen, a twofold what the old theologians called a cultural mandate. In other words, a task to fulfill. Twofold calling, twofold cultural mandate, and that cultural mandate is to form and to fill. Now, when we think of, of dominion, we think of just being the boss of everything. But dominion and rule and subdue was not the words that were used for to uh, uh, clear-cut forests or destroy every animal of a certain species or just rape the world for money. It wasn't that. It was to care for the world and, and see that it flourished. It doesn't mean that you don't go hunting or that you don't ever cut a tree down and that you worship the creature and the creation more than the Creator. No. That is not what we're called to do. But we are called to steward it, to take care of it and to love it and to bring it to its full potential. To form. To order it. To cultivate it. To shape the world into something. Not just to let it go wild. And at the same time, to fill it, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill this world. In other words, not cut down the surplus population. Let's have more. It's okay to have children. It's okay to have... Who tells you not only to have one children? Who, told you, who tells you that? The communist governments tell you that. Oppressive governments tell you that. Other people tell you, you're going to have one child and it better be a male... Think of the whole cultures that you know of today. Better be a male, and if it's a woman, if it's a female, what do we do? We either throw them away or we oppress them. One or the other. And this is a huge part of the world, folks. Don't think of America. America's the Garden of Eden compared to the rest of the world. We have a mandate to form and to fill. We're to be out there doing good to this world and people are to look at us and say, wow, these people really do care. They really are invested in this creation. They want to see social justice. They want to see racism stopped. They want to see slavery uh, uh, trafficking done away with. They want to see the opioid uh, crisis fixed. They they're actually doing something. But what you see often in America and Western evangelicalism is the Christians are all hunkered over in a corner, wringing their hands, they're scared to death, while hoping for the rapture. Get me out of here. When all the time the Bible is screaming out at us, invest deeply in the world, write beautiful music, learn to play an instrument, start a business, do good in your job, show kindness to those around you, especially your enemies, bless them that curse you, bless them, feed them. Jesus said that, I'm not saying that. I don't like that. I want to be mean to my enemies. That's counterintuitive for me. I don't want to help them. Okay. Form and fill. Serve and know. Form and fill. And then he gives us this amazing, we talked a little bit about this last week and I don't have time to go over it again, but it's this twofold character of the Imago Dei, the image of God, and it's a combination, uh, not really even a combination, it's twofold, it's dignity and humility. So what I told you and what you need to remember, because if you don't plug this in, and, and listen, balance uh, Richard Pratt used to say, balance, uh, the deck of life is always shifting, right? He's talking about a ship. The deck of life is always shifting. Balance is only momentary synchronicity. Did you like that? Uh, well, every once in a while we hit a spot where we're balanced and then we're off again in another direction. And what you need to know about so many things in the Bible are not either or, they're both and. And so many things in the Bible are, are not 50-50, they're 100%, 100%. Now, it doesn't fit in mathematically and all that, but it's not meant to. 
It's meant to be an expression of more, of abundance, of profligality. And that's who God is. He just, wow, He creates and wow, everything's just blowing and going. It's amazing. This twofold character of dignity and humility, you, human beings, every human being, regardless of their religion, race, creed, color, every, whether they have Down syndrome or not, whether they have an ailment or not, whether they're male or female, what doesn't matter. Every human being on the earth is created in the image of God and is entitled to an incredible amount of dignity. It's why we do not murder and it's why we do not kill willy-nilly, just anybody, uh, uh, for any reason. And you'll see what happens in chapter 4 of Genesis, how that whole wrong stuff explodes and why the stories are there. This incredible dignity that we should be prepared. This is the basis for why Jesus said, love one another. Where do you think Jesus came? Just because He's sweet? Jesus was a preacher of the Word of God and He read Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and He said exactly the implications, the logical implications. When He said, love each other the way I've loved you, He was speaking as the Creator. Love the world around you and the people in it like I have loved you prodigally with over-the-top abundance, with sacrificial love. And you'll see that in just a second. This incredible amount of dignity and coupled with 100% humility. Now, where does the humility come from? When you're kings and queens and and priests of the high and living God, the apex of all created beings. Why? How how do you temper that? You put over against it 100% humility. You are allowed, as human beings, to reflect and represent God's holy character. Listen. Without being God. And if you understand the profundity of that, that the idea of that, that you can both reflect God without being God, what happens to these people that really become oppressive? Think of uh, uh, Attila the Hun or uh, Adolf Hitler. We like to quote him all the time. Adolf Hitler, everything's Adolf Hitler. Or Stalin or one of these really evil people. You know, very often they become crazy in their mind because they think they have the rights, divine rights, either because they are God or they are special in God's eyes, to then wreak havoc with the creation as they choose. And here the Bible says, yes, you have that great dignity, but never forget you are a creature. You are dust. And that you were made, formed, fashioned, by someone who truly is God and truly is transcendent and has the power of life and death and has breath. That's where life comes from. Ruch comes from Him. He breathed that in to us. He is sovereign and creative, a craftsman of unparalleled proportion. So think of this. Let's end this, let's end this little part right here. Just think about this for a minute. Because listen, if this doesn't fire your jets, folks, you, you're hopeless. And I don't think that's true. I think Christ the King, I think you people understand that there is something more to life. At least we're saying that. We're claiming that. And so here it is. Just what if... Now, I'm speculating, but not without grounds. I'm going to speculate, but listen. What if the whole creation, everything in it, and especially you, were created for the purpose of making visible the invisible God? That in itself is a profound thought. That is a mind-blowing thought. What if God, what if His intention was, I am going to create something out of nothing because of who I am, and I'm going to put into that something someone who can make my 
character, my being, my invisible being, because by nature, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's from the Shorter Catechism. What is God? God is a being, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And, and what if God, being a spirit, invisible, created us and this world so that he could make visible his glory, his character, who he is and what he wants, his will, his divine will. What if humanity, what if humanity is the connection between this world and that world? Any of you are thinking Ray Bradbury right now? Or one of these science fiction writers? Don't. John, the apostle, thought it up way before when he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. He became a man, the perfect human being, the second Adam. Do you remember from last week? Incredible. Is that the way that God designed this universe to be so that we could connect with Him and He with us through our humanity? And I would say, look at Jesus. How do you connect with that world apart from Him? The Word who created this world. Wow. Okay. So, how do we do, how do we accomplish this? Why humanity? I've told you why. We have these callings and mandates and all this other. But how do we do it? Well, look at the text and we'll run through these quickly because it won't take much time. Look at verse 7. God gave human beings form, breath, and being. Form, breath, and being. In Hebrew, the word form means that that he was like a craftsman, potter, clay, shaping. And what it means is that he is not only sovereign, but he is also wise in his way of creating. Human beings are unique in the way they interact with the created world as far as we know. No other creature can do what we do or think what we think. Uh, No other creature, uh, a, a chimpanzee will take a a frond of a palm leaf and will stick it in a termite hole and eat the termites. And, and scientists go, oh my goodness, that's a tool. They're making tools. Look, everybody, they're making tools. That's a palm frond that they stick into a hole to get a termite out. And it's pretty amazing. But so do ground sloths. They don't use a frond. They use their tongue, which is long and sticky. And maybe the chimpanzees noticed that and said, hey, my tongue's too short, too fat, so I'll get the palm. All right, we don't know. Why Why do we care for the sick and the dying and the weak among us? Why? Other animals don't do that. You can show exceptions in what they're, but we don't really know what they're doing. Why do we care that there's a hurricane? Why does it bother us that there really are people who are oppressed in this world? Why do we care? It's because God has given us form. He's given us breath, life. He's given us being. We are aware. We are conscious. We know. And we are uniquely equipped. Uniquely, according to this, because He formed us, fashioned us, made us the way we are, like a craftsman, for this purpose. He's sovereign over us. He he decided how we were to be made so that we could uniquely communicate with Him and represent Him in the world. He formed us. He expresses His relationship to us. Skill and sovereignty. Listen to what Dr. Kidner says in his little commentary in Genesis. I don't know how he fit it all into this little book, but he did. Listen to what he says. He breathed into us the breath of life. And that breath is warmly personal. Face to face. As intimate as a kiss. Listen to this. 
an act of giving, not simply of making. That is profound. An act of giving, not simply making. He knelt over Adam and he breathed into his lungs that first breath, that first gasp of life, as intimate as a kiss, gave something of himself to this inanimate creature so that he would know and be able to express and relate to this one who made him to love him, obey him, be loyal to him, worship him, be devoted to him because of who he is, the God, not who the man is or the woman. Look at verse 15. He gave us purpose and meaning. He put us in the garden to work and keep. This phrase is used several times in the Old Testament. And every time that phrase in Hebrew is used, it is meant to uh, convey the work and keeping that the Levitical priests and the Aaronic priesthood did in the garden itself. And so Moses is making a strong allusion in his explanation of what man was charged to do, he's making a strong allusion back to the garden and saying this is what mankind's original purpose was. Now, I don't know how many careers are in this room, men and women working and all that. You know, I have my career. I've had another couple careers before that. I came late to the ministry in my age. Some of you have had different jobs and you have different work Some of you uh, ladies are working. Some are staying at home. Whatever the case is, what is the purpose? Just to make money? Then you die? No, there's more, and we know there's more. And it's beyond mere toil. Listen, if you can get this into your head, if you can figure this into your work, the work that you do every day, it'll change the way you look at your work and why this is so practical. It's beyond mere toil. It involves creativity and responsibility that you're actually doing for God what He meant for you to do to express His character, His glory, His creativeness, His goodness. So if you're, just, if you're a, a person who is in an assembly line and you're taking a, a piece of leather and you're slapping it on the bottom of a shoe and running the shoe through a machine and it's going like that, you're doing something God wanted you to do because that shoe benefits who knows. I mean, you could take the slightest thing or the more important things, going to a doctor or going to see a lawyer or going to come into church and listening to the wisdom that just flows naturally out of your pastor, almost it's effusive, it's so grand and wise. I'm just trying to see who's awake this morning. Presbyterians are not known to smile. Uh, they're not known to enjoy anything. They're dour and sour. But not us, right? We're with it. No, that's right. We, we were made to enjoy the, the beauty of the world. That's what your calling is. Whatever you do, lawyer, doctor, uh, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever it is, do it with gusto. Maybe you want to find another job. That's okay. While you're doing that, do what you're doing good. Let the joy of your purpose flow into your life so that you're not ground down by toil. You'll see why in the next chapter. We'll talk about that next week. Okay, quickly, let's move on. Look at 16 and 17. He gave us the freedom and the ability to choose. Mankind was created with a unique ability to make choices. Don't let anybody tell you that John Calvin didn't believe in free will. John Calvin did believe in free will. And so did every other good Bible scholar. So did St. Augustine. So did Luther. I don't know why people come up with these crazy ideas, but I want to dissuade you of those. Man was created with the ability to choose. And therefore, we see in the garden a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said you can eat from any tree including the tree of life. And the tree of life, whatever it was, it's very mysterious. It's only mentioned a few times in the Bible. But whatever it was, it was at least 
this. Listen, it was at least a sacrament. A sacramental object that human beings could go to and commune with God in some special way so that they would have life. We don't know a lot more than that. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. We don't know anything about that. But we know it was there. It was in the middle of the garden. It was for them to go to, for them to freely eat so that they could live. Now, the other tree is there with an explicit prohibition. Do not eat that tree. We don't know what the tree was. We don't all know all that it entails. Because in the rest of your Bible, folks, if any of you have read your Bible, you know that knowledge of good and evil is a good thing. In fact, it is lauded in the book of Proverbs that to know the difference between good and evil is good and wise. And you should know. So I don't know if it's just that. But whatever it is, it was a no. He said, don't eat from this one. This one's not going to do you any good. It's going to bring death. So God is putting before them the choice to eat from the tree and live or eat from the tree and what? Die. Moses reiterated it in the book of Deuteronomy. He says, I lay before you this day the choice, life and death. Therefore, choose life. Don't be stupid like the Canaanites. Choose life. Live. Choose to live. So whatever the tree was, it was somehow communicating, like we do in Holy Communion, communicating God to us, a special grace to them. All right. Next gift, relational, relationship and social. He's giving that to us. It's not good to be alone, and I'm running out of time, so let me be quick. The animals were created to help Adam in his execution of the mandate, but one thing that Adam could not do with the animals was reproduce himself. Now listen to me. Because if we, if, if just this little church, just this group of people here, I don't know, maybe there's a hundred of us, probably not even that, but a hundred people. If just us took this into our heart, made this part of our being, who we are, and every day of our life we live this out with our, our spouses, with our family, with our friends, with our co-workers, with people that don't believe like us, with everybody, and we did it with sincerity and in faith, we could change the world. Literally change the face of the world like the early church did once before. And like the church has done throughout its history in certain places and pockets where it has actually done this. And America's desperate for us right now, folks. They're desperate for us to step up and be the people of God, gospel people. Animals could help with the work and extend. But listen, man, this is also Dr. Kidner. The guy's crazy smart. Man is created as a social being made for relationship not listen not power he's made for relationship not power he will not live this is mind-blowing he will not live until he loves giving himself away leaving father mother and holding fast to wife one flesh to another on his own level. Woman is presented, listen to this, is profound, my friends. Listen, woman is presented by Moses in the, in the book of Genesis. Moses is presenting woman as a complete partner. A complete whole partner. Nothing's yet said about her childbearing. This is Dr. Kidner. Nothing is said about her childbearing. She is valued for herself alone just because of who she is. Let that put to death any ideas in your mind that the book is a book of patriarchy and polygamy and oppression of women. Listen, they did do that and it started in chapter 4 and you're going to see it when we get there in a few weeks. What happens when women become oppressed 
And when half the population, half the population at the bare minimum, become second-class citizens, and half the population uh, uh, is under the, the toe of, of patriarchy and all the rest of that, if you think your Bible is patriarchal, you're just simply not reading your Bible. The Bible gives women equal dignity. It raises them to a level unheard of in the ancient Near East. This was radical. It's radical now. He's not even going to be fit to be a human being without that counterpart, without that partner. And so God does this. And and what's profound, and we don't have enough time, I wish I could talk about it more, but she's the same as him, but not identical to him. Right? She didn't come from the dust. Where does she come from? She comes from him. From the stuff of him. His side, his rib, whatever's closest to his heart. He comes, she comes from there. So that she can be like him, but not identical to him. And what does he do? He sacrifices. The metaphor, the illusions are glorious and profound. He is sacrificing his own flesh and blood for another. No other creature does that in all creation. No animal does that for anybody. He gives Himself His flesh, His blood, and He says, now we are one flesh. This is the unique, better than anything we would have come up with. Equal in dignity, equal in status, equal in standing. Complementary, but not completing. In other words, women were not, com- were not created to complete some gap like Rocky's theology. You know, with Adrian, I got gaps, you got gaps, we got to fill each other's gaps. That's not what he's talking about. No, he's not, it's not to fill gaps, it's not to complete you. You're already complete, he made us good. Very good. It's not even that we need them. Do we? Yes, of course. I don't know if you see what he's doing. It's radical then. Jesus, just our Lord. Let me jump ahead quick and then I'm going to finish. Jesus took a stake and he plunged it into the heart of that vampire that has been sucking the life out of humanity from the beginning. And that is the opposition that the sexes have towards one another and the opposition that the races have towards one another and the opposition that the poor and the rich and this and that, all the divisions, all the things that you can think that separate human being from human being, our Lord Jesus Christ came and in His flesh, the Apostle Paul said, He tore down those walls of partition that separate Him. He took the stake and He plunged it in the vampire's heart of evil towards others completely. And starting with male and female. And then working itself out to our children, to our culture, to our society, into every part of the world. Jesus said, you are salt, you are light, you are leaven. Wow. How do you re-enter the garden? Let me close with this. I have many scriptures I could give you. I'm just going to give you this one. Life is going to be, I'm going to tell you uh, frankly, life is going to be frustrating for you if you don't find the transcendent God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, life is going to be frustrating. And you can. You can go find some sort of help with other religions. In fact, there are other religions, really, that are going to require a whole lot less of you than Christianity. It's my duty to tell you that if you become a Christian, you're going to feel more deeply. You're going to suffer more. You're going, to be, you're going to have to sacrifice more. There's going to be a lot of cost to you becoming a Christian. And everything you do will be worth it and worth it and worth it beyond your wildest imaginations. Your treasures will be in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and neither will thieves bake through and steal because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. You see, why is life so frustrating? Why is the world the way it is? Why are we suffering? Right here. 
If anyone is in Christ, listen, Paul is going straight back to the book of Genesis. Right back there, Genesis 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, not a new creature, it says new creation. A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. Now what Paul, when Paul says reconciled, think of recreation, rebirth, renewal, making enemies, friends, bringing two together. He reconciled us to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them for our sake. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. New creation. And all He asks from you is to the same identical thing He asked our parents in the garden. And He only asked our parents to do one thing, to trust Him. Just trust me about the tree. And by golly, we didn't do it. And so another one had to go into another garden. And when God said, will you obey me about the tree? Jesus said, I'll climb that tree for you and for them. I will obey you. I will do it. And that's why the gospel is utterly unique. Our parents disobeyed about the tree. Jesus obeyed for us. A new creation in Him. I hope if you haven't done it before, you need to give your life to this man. Who's going to die for you? Who's going to give Himself for you? Nobody. Not even our spouses, not even our children. No one will do it like He did. And I, I, I hope you will. I really do. Father, thank You for Your kindness and goodness. We will... Spend eternity singing your praises for what you've done. And I know living in this fog of sin and suffering and darkness, it can be impossible to find our way out. But I pray that you will bring us the light of life through our Lord Jesus and lighten our heart. We need you. We can't live without you. And I pray that you will fill us with your spirit so that we might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.